Lehi's family leaves Jerusalem. Repent, or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed, cried the prophets to the people in Jerusalem. Lehi, who lived in Jerusalem, loved the Lord and believed the words of the prophets. He was concerned because the people were wicked and would not repent. One day, while he was praying for his people, Lehi had a vision. In this vision, he read in a book that the great city of Jerusalem would be destroyed and many of the people would be killed or carried away as captives into Babylon. After his vision, Lehi went forth among the people and began to prophesy, telling them the things which he had both seen and heard. But the people did not believe him. Instead, they became angry with Lehi and sought to kill him. But the Lord was watching over Lehi and spoke to him in a dream. He commanded Lehi to take his family away from Jerusalem and go into the wilderness so that they would not be destroyed. Lehi had many friends and relatives in Jerusalem. He had a comfortable home and much gold and silver. But when the Lord commanded him to leave, he was obedient. He left his home and his wealth behind, taking nothing except tents and provisions for his family. Lehi's family consisted of his wife, Sariah, and his sons, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi. Laman and Lemuel, the oldest sons, thought their father was foolish for leaving Jerusalem. They did not want to leave their land, their riches, and their friends. They rebelled and murmured against their father, saying he had led them away from their home because of the foolish imaginations of his heart. They did not believe Lehi had been commanded by the Lord to leave Jerusalem, nor did they believe that the great city of Jerusalem, with its strong walls, could ever be destroyed. Nephi, the youngest son, did not understand why they were leaving their home either, but because he had a great desire to know the mysteries of God, he prayed to the Lord. The Lord softened Nephi's heart, so that he could understand and believe all the words which his father had spoken. Nephi told his brothers about the answer he had received to his prayers. Sam believed, but Laman and Lemuel did not. Saddened, Nephi prayed for them, but they would not believe, and continued to harden their hearts. The Lord told Nephi that if Laman and Lemuel kept rebelling, they could not have the Spirit of the Lord with them. Then the Lord promised Nephi that if he would always obey the commandments, he would be blessed and would be led to a land of promise, which was choice above all other lands. The Lord led Lehi and his family to a valley near the Red Sea, which Lehi named after his son, Lemuel. 
While there, Lehi was commanded by the Lord to send his sons back to Jerusalem to obtain scriptures and genealogy records. These records were engraved on plates of brass. They were kept by a powerful and wicked man named Laban. Aware of Laban's cruel and wicked ways, Lehi's sons knew that it would be difficult to obtain the plates. Laman and Lemuel rebelled against their father for asking them to do such a difficult thing. They murmured against him and were very contentious. But Nephi said, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. In spite of their grumbling, Laman and Lemuel agreed to go back to Jerusalem with Sam and Nephi to obtain the sacred records. They reached the walls of the great city and drew lots to determine which one of them would approach Laban. The lot fell to Laman. Laman went to Laban's house, but when he told Laban he wanted the plates of brass, Laban became very angry. He threw Laman out of the house, saying, Behold, thou art a robber, and I will slay thee. Laman fled and told his brothers what had happened. They too were frightened and disappointed. They wondered how they would be able to get the plates of brass. Laman and Lemuel suggested they give up and return to their father. But Nephi chastened his brothers, saying, As the Lord liveth. We will not go down to our father until we have accomplished the thing which the Lord hath commanded us. Lovingly, Nephi convinced his brothers to go back to their old home in Jerusalem. They gathered together the gold and silver and other precious things the family had left behind. Taking these worldly riches to Laban's house, they tried to buy the brass plates. Laban loved the riches but he was not an honest man. He decided he would keep the riches and the brass plates, so he commanded his servants to kill the brothers. Nephi and his brothers fled for their lives, leaving behind their riches, just as the evil Laban had planned. After escaping Laban's servants, they hid in a cave. Once again, Laman and Lemuel became very angry, they said they wanted nothing more to do with this foolish mission. They murmured against Nephi and their father and began to beat Nephi and Sam with a rod. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood before them and asked, Why do ye smite your younger brother with a rod? Go up to Jerusalem again, and the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. Shortly after the angel departed, Laman and Lemuel again began to murmur, saying, How is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Behold, he is a mighty man, and he can command fifty, yea, even he can slay fifty. Then why not us? Knowing that all things are possible with the Lord, Nephi encouraged his brothers, saying, let us go up again unto Jerusalem, and let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. For behold, 
He is mightier than all the earth. Then why not mightier than Laban? The older brothers were still angry, but they followed Nephi back to the walls of the city. In the dark of night, Nephi crept toward Laban's house. Nephi did not know how he was going to obtain the plates, but he knew he was being led by the Spirit of the Lord. As Nephi neared Laban's house, he saw a man lying on the ground, drunk with wine. When Nephi came nearer, he saw that it was Laban. He noticed Laban's sword and drew it from its sheath. It was of the finest workmanship. It was made of the most precious steel and decorated with pure gold. The spirit told Nephi to kill Laban. Nephi was shocked. He had never killed anyone, and the very thought of it caused him to shudder. Again the spirit told Nephi to kill Laban. How could he do such a thing? He remembered how Laban had tried to kill him and his brothers, and how Laban had taken their riches. But he still did not feel right about taking Laban's life. A third time, the spirit spoke to Nephi, saying, Slay him, for the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. It is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. The Lord wanted Nephi to understand how important it was for Lehi and his descendants to have scriptures to guide them in their lives. Nephi thought about the things the Lord had promised his family if they kept the commandments. He realized his family needed the plates of brass to help them live close to the Lord. He knew that the Lord had delivered Laban to him so that he could obtain these records. Nephi also knew that it was not his decision to kill Laban, but it was a command from the Lord. Therefore, Nephi obeyed the voice of the Spirit, and using Laban's own sword, he cut off Laban's head. Nephi quickly dressed in Laban's clothes and put on Laban's armor. Then he went to the treasury in Laban's house, pretending to be Laban. Laban's servant Zoram was there. Making his voice sound like Laban's, Nephi commanded Zoram to unlock the treasury. Because Zoram thought Nephi was Laban, he obeyed. Again mimicking Laban's voice, Nephi commanded Zoram to follow him to the place outside the city walls where his brothers were hiding. When Nephi and Zoram approached, Laman and Lemuel and Sam thought Laban was coming after them, so they ran away, fearing for their lives. Nephi, using his own voice, called them back. Then it was Zoram's turn to be frightened. He turned to escape, but Nephi stopped him. 
Nephi told Zoram that it was the desire of the Lord that they obtain the brass plates. Nephi also explained that he and his brothers were returning to the wilderness to meet their father, who had been commanded by the Lord to leave Jerusalem. Nephi asked Zoram to go with them, and Zoram agreed. Their mission was complete. The Lord had blessed them, and they returned to their father in the wilderness. It was a time of great joy for their mother and father. They offered sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord to express their thanks. The Lord had truly prepared the way for them to accomplish the things that He had commanded them. While Lehi's family was camped in the valley of Lemuel, the Lord sent Lehi's sons back to Jerusalem to ask Ishmael and his family to travel with them. After Ishmael's family joined them, they waited for some time for further directions from the Lord. During this time, the sons of Lehi married the daughters of Ishmael. One night, the voice of the Lord spoke to Lehi, commanding him to begin their journey into the wilderness the next day. When Lehi arose in the morning, he stepped to the door of his tent and found a strange object on the ground. It was a round ball of curious workmanship. It was made of brass and had two spindles inside. One spindle pointed the direction they should go in the wilderness. The ball, which was called the Liahona, was a special gift from the Lord and worked somewhat like a compass, directing them toward the promised land. Lehi and Ishmael and their families prepared their tents and provisions, including seeds of every kind, and went forth into the wilderness. The Liahona guided them through the most fertile parts of the land. Along the way, they hunted for food with their bows and slings. One day when Nephi was hunting for food, his steel bow broke. His brothers were angry with him because they had to return to camp without food. Their bows had become weak and useless, and they had depended on Nephi to furnish food for their hungry families. Even Lehi began to murmur against the Lord. But instead of complaining, Nephi did something to solve the problem. He found some wood and carved a new bow. Then he made an arrow out of a straight stick. Taking his new bow, he went to his father Lehi. Nephi loved and respected his father as the patriarch of the family and asked for his advice and direction, even though Lehi's faith had wavered. Whither shall I go to obtain food? Nephi asked. Lehi was sorry he had murmured against the Lord. Humbly he prayed for guidance, and it came to pass that the voice of the Lord said unto him, Look upon the ball. And behold the things which are written. 
On the Liahona, Lehi discovered words which told Nephi where to hunt. Following these directions, Nephi went to the top of a mountain, where he killed many wild beasts. Nephi returned to camp with enough food for everyone. Humbled, they all gave thanks to the Lord. While they traveled, the Liahona helped them in other ways. Teachings and instructions appeared on the ball, changing from time to time. But the Liahona only worked when they were faithful and obedient. Lehi and his group were in the wilderness for eight years. These years were filled with much suffering and affliction, but they were also filled with many blessings. When the people kept the commandments, the Lord strengthened them and made their journey easier. Nephi was a continual help and support to his father. His faith in the Lord never wavered. Nephi lived so righteously that the Lord spoke to him many times, choosing him to be a leader and teacher to his brothers. However, Laman and Lemuel resented Nephi. They did not have faith in the Lord and were always ready to complain and rebel. With the Lord's help, Lehi and Nephi kept the people moving toward the promised land. When the wanderers finally reached the great sea, they called it Eriantum, which means many waters. They named the surrounding land Bountiful because of its abundant fruit and wild honey. Happily, they pitched their tents on the seashore and enjoyed a time of rest and abundant food. After many days, Nephi was called by the voice of the Lord to go up onto a mountain. The Lord instructed Nephi, Thou shalt construct a ship after the manner which I shall show thee, that I may carry thy people across these waters. Building a ship must have sounded like an impossible task, but Nephi knew that with the Lord's help he could do it. He asked the Lord where to find ore for the tools he would need to make. Then he went to work. Laman and Lemuel murmured, Our brother is a fool, for he thinketh that he can build a ship, yea, and he also thinketh that he can cross these great waters. They refused to help with the work. Nephi was sad to see the hardness of their hearts when he tried to explain to them why the Lord had led them out of Jerusalem and why they should keep the Lord's commandments, his brothers became angry. They charged toward him, intending to throw him into the depths of the sea. But Nephi's voice startled them. In the name of the Almighty God, I command you that ye touch me not for I am filled with the power of God. And whoso shall lay his hands upon me, 
shall wither even as a dried reed. His brothers stepped back, not daring to carry out their terrible threat. Nephi commanded them to cease their murmuring against their father and to help with the building of the ship. He bore his testimony, exclaiming, If God had commanded me to do all things, I could do them. The Spirit of God was with Nephi so strongly that his brothers dared not touch him for many days. Then Nephi, following the Lord's instruction, stretched forth his hand and touched his brothers. They received a frightening shock. They knew it was the power of God that had shaken them, and they repented of their anger and rebellion. With the help of his brothers, Nephi worked hard on the ship, building it not according to the manner of men, but according to the manner the Lord had shown him. Nephi went often to the mountain to pray, knowing he needed guidance in order to build the ship. When it was finished, Nephi's brothers admitted it was a fine ship, and they humbled themselves before the Lord. Finally, the voice of the Lord told Lehi it was time for them to begin their voyage. They prepared fruit, meat, honey, and all things which the Lord had commanded, and they went on board the ship. Bravely, they launched the ship into the sea, and the winds drove them toward the promised land. They knew the Lord was guiding them, because the Leahonas showed them which way to steer the ship. After they had been on the water for many days, Nephi's brothers and Ishmael's sons and their wives began to be very light-minded. They started to speak with much rudeness and to do many things which were not pleasing to the Lord. Nephi was frightened when he saw their evil doing and their rudeness. He knew it was the power of the Lord which was guiding them safely across the sea and that they needed to live righteously so that they could continue to have the Lord's help. Nephi tried to warn them, but they became angry. They did not want their younger brother to tell them what to do. Laman and Lemuel grabbed Nephi and tied him up so tightly that he could not move. As soon as Nephi was bound, the Leahona stopped working, and his brothers could not tell which way to steer the ship. Then a great storm arose. For three days, fierce winds drove them back across the waters. They were afraid they were going to drown, but they would not untie Nephi. Lehi and Ishmael's sons tried to reason with Laman and Lemuel, but they threatened anyone who tried to get them to release Nephi. Because of their age and their grief, Lehi and Sariah became deathly ill. Nephi's wife and children fearfully pleaded with Laman and Lemuel, but no one could soften their hearts. On the fourth day, the storm became even worse. The winds and waves increased, and the sea was about to swallow the whole ship. Nephi's brothers finally realized that the power of God threatened to destroy them. 
Reluctantly, they untied the cords which held Nephi. Nephi's wrists and ankles were terribly swollen and sore. He had suffered a great deal from being bound so tightly. But through it all, he had stayed close to the Lord and had not complained about his afflictions. After Nephi was free, he took the Liahona into his hands, and because of his great faith, it began to work. Nephi prayed fervently, and the raging winds and towering waves stopped, and the sea grew calm. With Nephi once more steering the ship, they sailed safely until they reached the promised land. Enos Prayer While Enos was hunting beasts in the forest, he remembered the words which he had often heard his father Jacob speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints. While he pondered his father's teachings, he decided not to hunt animals. He realized that he wanted to find something far greater. Kneeling in humble prayer, Enos confessed his sins. All day, Enos lifted his voice unto the Lord, praying for forgiveness. When night came, he continued to plead with the Lord. More than anything else, Enos wanted to repent and be forgiven of his sins. As he continued to cry unto the Lord in prayer, a voice came to him, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. After many hours of pleading with the Lord in prayer, Enos must have been very tired, and yet he did not think about resting. Instead, he thought of his people, the Nephites, and once more he poured out his heart to the Lord. This time he prayed for the Nephites. After much praying, the voice of the Lord came into his mind again, explaining that the Nephites would be blessed according to their righteousness. Enos then prayed for his enemies, the Lamanites, who had become very wicked and were continually trying to destroy Enos' people. But Enos' heart was filled with love and concern for them. The Lord knew that the wishes of Enos' heart were righteous. So he told Enos, Whatsoever thing ye shall ask in faith, believing that ye shall receive in the name of Christ, ye shall receive it. Enos was concerned about the sacred records of the Nephites. He knew that the Lamanites wanted to destroy them. With great faith, he prayed that the records would be kept safe. The Lord covenanted with Enos that the records would be preserved and brought forth to the Lamanites at a later time. Knowing that all the Lord had told him was true, Enos at last felt peaceful, and from then on, he did his best to do the Lord's work. 
He spent the rest of his life teaching the gospel and bearing his testimony. Prayer and the teachings of his father had brought him close to the Lord, and Enos wanted to share that mighty blessing with others. Abinadi and King Noah. Abinadi was sent to warn King Noah's people that if they continued in wickedness, they would become slaves to their enemies. When Abinadi delivered the message he had been sent to give, the people became angry and tried to kill him. King Noah heard of Abinadi's preaching and was furious. He ordered that Abinadi be arrested so that he could have Abinadi put to death. However, the Lord helped Abinadi escape. Two years passed, but neither King Noah nor his people repented. Once again, the Lord sent his prophet among the people. But this time, Abinadi's message was different. The Lord instructed Abinadi to tell King Noah's people that because of their wickedness, they would become slaves to their enemies and suffer greatly. And then, if they still did not repent, they would be destroyed. Instead of believing Abinadi's message, the people again became angry. They took Abinadi, tied him up, and carried him before the king. Abinadi had prophesied that King Noah's life would be like clothing in a furnace of fire, and that he would be like a dried plant that is run over and trodden down by men and animals. This prophecy made King Noah even more angry. His heart was hard, and he refused to understand. He could not believe that such things could happen to a powerful king like himself. King Noah and his priests questioned Abinadi, trying to find something they could accuse him of so that they could condemn him to death. Abinadi answered their questions with teachings from the scriptures. But King Noah still did not repent and commanded, Take this man away and kill him, for he is mad. King Noah's men stepped forward to seize Abinadi. Touch me not, Abinadi warned. God shall smite you if ye lay your hands upon me. For I have not delivered the message which the Lord sent me to deliver. Therefore God will not suffer that I shall be destroyed at this time. Fearfully, the men stepped back, not daring to touch Abinadi, because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and his face shone with exceeding luster. 
Abinadi continued to speak with power and authority from God, he told King Noah he must deliver the message that God had sent him to deliver. Abinadi was not concerned about what might happen to him. His only concern was to obey the Lord. Abinadi reminded the wicked priests of the commandments of Heavenly Father. He taught them about Jesus and the atonement. He taught them about the resurrection and the final judgment. After Abinadi ended his testimony, King Noah was still angry and ordered the priests to put him to death. But Abinadi's words had not been wasted. Alma, one of King Noah's priests, believed all that Abinadi had said. He pleaded with the king to release Abinadi, but it made King Noah more furious to think that one of his priests had believed Abinadi. He cast Alma out. Then he ordered his servants to follow Alma and kill him. But Alma hid from them and wrote down all that Abinadi had said. Abinadi was cast into prison. Three days later, he was brought before King Noah again. Noah told Abinadi that he was to be put to death because he had said that God would come down among the children of men. The king told Abinadi that unless he would deny his words, he would be put to death. Abinadi courageously replied, I will not recall the words which I have spoken unto you, for they are true, and they shall stand as a testimony against you. If ye slay me, ye will shed innocent blood, and this shall also stand as a testimony against you at the last day. These words frightened King Noah. He was almost ready to release Abinadi, but the priests stirred him to anger again. King Noah commanded that Abinadi be put to death by fire. As the flames rose about him, Abinadi continued to prophesy, Ye shall be smitten on every hand, and shall be driven, and scattered to and fro. In that day ye shall be hunted, and ye shall be taken by the hand of your enemies. Then ye shall suffer as I suffer the pains of death by fire. Then he prayed, O God, receive my soul. Abinadi died, sealing the truth of his words by his death. Shortly after the death of Abinadi, some of King Noah's people became displeased with him. A man named Gideon vowed he would kill King Noah. He chased the king onto a high tower and was about to kill him when King Noah saw an army of Lamanites approaching their city. He cried out, Gideon, spare me, for the Lamanites are upon us and they will destroy us. Seeing the danger, Gideon did not kill King Noah. 
that because he feared for himself more than for anyone else, King Noah did not try to defend his land from the Lamanites. Instead, he told everyone to run into the wilderness. The Lamanite army quickly cut the people and began to kill them. Selfishly, King Noah commanded his men to abandon their wives and children and run for their lives. Many refused and stayed with their families. They convinced the Lamanites to take them as slaves rather than kill them. The Lamanites agreed, thus fulfilling part of Abinadi's prophecies. Most of the men who had run away soon regretted their cowardly action. They decided to return and suffer the consequences with their families. King Noah and his priests, however, felt no guilt and commanded the men not to return. The men became angry, realizing how much evil King Noah had caused they put him to death by fire, as the prophet Abinadi had foretold.